Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and get that out. And uh, Or if you're new to church, or maybe this is your first time to church uh, in a long time or ever, uh, and you don't have a Bible, that's cool. Feel free to use your phone or tablet as well. And uh, there's an app for everything, so you can just download, type in Bible, and it'll pop an app up. And uh, turn with me to the book of First Timothy. Uh, that's uh, in the New Testament, kind of towards the back or the bottom if you scroll. And, uh, and we're going to be hanging out in First Timothy chapter 2. And I'll tell you what verse in a second, but we're, we're just going to be hanging out there. I want to echo what Dave said earlier in our welcome, is that uh, when you walked in, there were response cards on all of your chairs. And I want to just encourage you to, um, those blue parts that, that tear off, I want to encourage you to fill that out. Everybody that's here today, sometimes I know at some uh, places that may just be if you're new, but we uh, ask everybody every week to fill that out um, just because we have a team that really prays. And there's also a place on the back that during our message or worship, if you feel like God speaking to you, and you're like, man, I really want to join a community group. Like, Jake and Rachel, they seem really cool. I'd like to go to their group too, you know. Um, you can, there's places on the back you can mark things that you want more info on, and we'll help you uh, connect you and get you in the right spot. But there's also a place on those cards for you to take notes, and I want to encourage you guys today to take notes. Well, let's be a, a note-taking church, all right? And the reason is not because I have anything grand to say, but because we are literally about to open up the Word of God. Like, like this is his word speaking to us. And, uh, and even though I'm up here, I'll try really hard not to mess it up. But like, man, this is God speaking to us. And so if you're like me, you'll get home, you'll take an awesome nap, you'll eat amazing snacks for the Super Bowl tonight, maybe. And uh, let's be honest, that's what it's all about anyway, right? Is bring on the snacks. And we'll do that. And then you'll wake up Monday and be like, did I go to church yesterday? Was that yesterday I went to church? And so taking notes will help you remember uh, what God's doing. Hey, listen. Listen, one of the reasons we're going through the book of 1 Timothy is because, one, we're a new church. And there's a lot of instruction in the book of 1 Timothy about God's church and how it's supposed to operate and what it's supposed to mean and what it's supposed to look like. And here's what I know. If it was up to me, I would come in and I would never preach on 1 Timothy. I would just come in. I'd be like, guys, this is what church is supposed to be like. And all the people who agreed with me would show up and you'd hang out and we'd have a really great time in our little, our little group, all right? Um, but the fact is, like, uh, half the stuff we do at Impact, I don't even like. Like, they're not even my preference. It's not even like I came up with it because we are trying really hard while we have a blank canvas to open up God's Word and say, what does God say about his church? And let's do that. Now, he doesn't answer every question about the church, and that's where we get to seek him and figure out what he's doing specifically within us. But there are a lot of questions he does answer. And I know it's convenient to skip over them and not worry about them. But, uh, man, we want to know, right? Like, we don't want to get 20 years down the road and uh, be like, wow, we started a really good church that Brandon liked, right? Or a really good church that these random people we don't even know uh, started and liked. But, man, we want a church that 20 years from now is reading the word and going, oh, man, that's why... 
that's why we do that. That's why this is, is here. And, uh, and so that, that's what we want to do. And so I remember I grew up in church. I don't know. I know we have a lot of people in our church who didn't grow up in church, uh, you know, and then a lot of people who did grow up in church and then took a 20-year break and are coming back. And I know we have a lot of that, but um, I used to, in the mornings, I had a Sunday school. It was back when we had uh, Sunday school instead of kids' ministry. And I would go into my Sunday school class, and every morning we would get started with this little thing. Now, I'd, I'd always forget it because it's been a long time since I've done it. But tell me if you grew up in church, maybe you, you've heard this or know this. But it was a whole, you put your hands together and you say, this is the church. Oh, help me, Rihanna. And this is the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. Or in my church, we said, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up. Where'd all the people go? And that was kind of, <laughs> I know, it was bad. It was sad. It got a little dirty for a little bit. All right, so that, that's kind of how, how that rolls. So, you know, this is the church, this is the steeple. Open it up, and there's all the people. And, um, and man, like, as we're walking through 1 Timothy, like, I want you to realize this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who, who started this church, installed Timothy, a guy named Timothy, as the pastor. And he's a young pastor, young elder, hanging out. Um, trying to do the Lord's work, trying to pastor this church in a major city. He's in the city of Ephesus, um, a major city. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, how similar Northern Virginia and Ephesus probably would have been. Um, and so I realized, like, uh, a lot of times we're talking about this, and we start talking about the church or church leadership, and immediately people think these things, right? They think, okay, Brandon, I'm going through a lot of stuff in my life right now. Like, I got a lot of stuff going on. How is you talking about church leadership going to help my life this week at all? Like, a lot of times we think about that. And we hear, like, okay, we're going to talk about the church. And we go, man, what is that? I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor. Like, what, is that? what does that matter for me? Um, but listen, here's what I know, especially sitting down with people in the last few years, is that church leadership has a massive impact on the spiritual lives of people. Because I have sat down with so many people, even some of you in this room, who say, Brandon, I don't know how it happened, but I haven't been to church in five years, haven't been to church in a long time. And if you trace it back, right, a lot of it has to do with church leadership. And a lot of times it's not the good parts of church leadership, right? And so here's what I know. The health of church leadership impacts millions of people all over the world. Like unhealthy leaders tend to lead unhealthy churches, which are made up of people who just want to grow close to God, but because the leader's unhealthy, the church becomes unhealthy, and then they become unhealthy. And so church leadership can't be something we take casual as we're starting a new church, all right? So let's dive in, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, I think that's a, a quorum. Here we go. First Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Stay in the room. We're going to talk about it. All right. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Nobody go anywhere. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Just stay where you're at. We're going to talk about all of this. 
and became a transgressor, all right? Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Please don't leave. Please, it is your first time with us. Just stay, I promise. Um, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, all right? So um, all I want to say is you guys are going to be talking about this in your community groups this week. So pray for your community group leaders. I'm going to skip it, all right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, listen, so I realize this can be like, honestly, this is one of the most controversial, controversial scriptures in all of the Bible. And this is why at Impact Church, we just preach the Bible. Because if we were like doing what I wanted to do again, we would, I would never, ever preach on this scripture. Ever. Like, like you might even come to my house and be like, hey, I was randomly reading this in a devotion the other day. I came across it. What's it mean? I'd be like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Like, I would totally ignore you. Like, because this is a passage of scripture that is is hard to understand that is sometimes like been taken out of context and led to abuse and like like there's all sorts of stuff so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to break it down into kind of four commands all right and we're going to chat about them so don't freak out but we'll kind of chat about them all right Um, but first we're going to start with the men all right so what Paul's doing is Paul is giving instructions for the men of the church and the women of the church now you need to understand like historical context is that back then like in their context uh, men and women usually were not together Together. Like, like they, were, they were usually separated because of cultural norms and things like that. And so it's not that always that Paul is saying, you know, this is God's way, period. But it's kind of Paul saying, hey, listen, this is, you know, among the culture and among the church that you have, this is what, how I want you to act and what I want you to do. So what I want you to do is try to listen for God's heart. All right, in this passage, like try not to just take it as a checklist of rules, but try to listen for God's heart. Let's see where we can get convicted about it today. All right. So number one, the number one um, problem that I see Paul addressing is that men were not leading in prayer. Men were not leading in prayer. Like he says uh, in verse eight, right? In every place, men should pray. Like, and I don't think he's saying, like, men should pray, women should not, you know, women, we don't want you to pray. Like, I think he's addressing a specific concern in this church that the men of the church were not praying. Like, they they were treating, uh, instead of prayer, they were treating their relationship with God with passivity. Like, and that's where, that's where most men that I've discipled get into trouble is through their passivity instead of prayer. He says to lift your hands, right? To pray with hands lifted high. And, uh, and here's the thing, like dudes be reading that and they're like, dude, I need to lift in my hands. Like what is, what is up with that? Like it makes people uncomfortable because they're like, am I supposed to pray? Well, Brandon doesn't lift his hands every time he prays. And listen, like the lifting of hands was a prayer posture that represented purity, Okay? Like, because it says in the book of Psalms, like, who can approach the hill of the Holy One, right? Uh, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so lifting your hands to the Lord is a way of, of saying my hands are clean. I've been forgiven of my sin. I've confessed my sin. And the best I know, I'm coming to the Lord with a pure heart, right? It's also a, an ex, a way of exposing, right? Like you, you feel very vulnerable in this position. Like, and so, so that's what Paul's saying is this is men, this is how I want you to pray in the church. Like, I don't want you to, you know, uh, you don't have to do all of this other, but I want you to pray with purity. I, I want to make sure your heart is right. I don't think the Lord is as concerned with if you're physically raising your hands, although sometimes to get to that heart posture, 
we need to physically lift our hands. Like sometimes we're not going to get to that heart posture until we make ourselves feel a little vulnerable and a little exposed. Like we spend all of our life chasing dignity, right? Especially in Northern Virginia, like we want people to take us seriously. We want people to be, we want people to think, man, we are dignified. And what Paul is saying is, man, when you pray, lose your dignity a little bit. Like have, pray with a pure heart and and vulnerability. And so here's the, so that's the first thing. There's a first problem in the church, the men weren't leading out in prayer. Um, I tell a group, I have a group uh, we have called the Lit Team, uh, Leadership Impact Training Team, and, uh, and I, we're training them to be leaders in the church. And one thing we talked about early on is we were like, man, men, like you guys need to lead in prayer. Like when anyone says, would anyone like to pray? Like, the dudes need to be, like, punching each other, trying to pray. Like, not really. But they need to be like, man, I want to pray. No, I want to pray. No, I'll pray. I'll pray. Like, that's the type of culture we need among the men in our church. Um, here's the second thing we see is that men were being divisive. Men were being divisive. And uh, let me tell you something. It's really easy to look around, and sometimes men think that uh, maybe the ladies are the ones to bring a little bit of drama. Um, but uh, in this church, in this time, it was the dudes bringing the drama in the church. And, uh, and so that's why, like, uh, Paul tells them, um, he says, do it without anger or quarreling. Like, do it, like, pray without anger and without quarreling. Because God says, man, I want your relationships with other people to be right when you're dealing with your relationship with me. And so, guys, when we pray, this is a responsibility we have. And so a lot of times, man, uh, we try to, especially men, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a, a cross-gender problem, but we, we try to sometimes just, man, if I pray well enough in public or if I pray enough, then people will think everything's all good, you know? And, man, I'll be honest, I've listened to pastors pray, and I'm like, man, they are so holy, so amazing. And then the next week, they're not even in ministry anymore. You know, like I, I've watched that happen. And, and so, man, God says, listen, I don't need it to be about the eloquent words you're saying. I want to know that the way you're dealing with your relationship with me is the, the care you're giving to your relationships with other people. Um, and then we see this. We see Paul says that some of the women in the church were being a distraction, were being distracting. And uh, this is where Paul uh, kind of gets into a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of like specifics, right? So he started, and, and he's addressing specific things. So um, I think it's kind of interesting. He's talking about women shouldn't adorn themselves, or they should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, modesty, self-control. You know, not with braided hair and all this stuff. And and so there's churches that would read that. And I'm not suggesting like, hey, let's get a security team together. Let's post them at the door. You know, let's check everybody's hair when they're coming in. Like that's not that's not what this passage is suggesting. <laughs> You got some of the ladies are like mocking this right now. They're like braiding their hair. So like, listen, um, but here, here's, what I, here's what I know, all right, is that through this, like in, in that time, in that culture, those things meant something. And in the city of Ephesus, like you have to understand, like sexuality and sexual immoral, uh, immorality was everywhere. 
Like it was a very like sexual revolution type city and type place. Like this is where one of the big temples was that literally people would go to like a sex goddess and like worship there in this temple. And, um, and so it, this was like, so you have to understand the context and understand this. There were not generations of Christians in this church. These are the first Christians, okay? So everybody is coming out of this lifestyle. This is not like, you know, uh, well, you're just rebelling against what your grandmother taught you. Like, this is a total, like, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm coming out and they're learning everything brand new. And, uh, and so let me just say this, um, and this is for everyone, not just for ladies, just like prayer could be for everyone and not just for men. But I want you to hear me say this. This is just something that, that I believe, um, is I believe that modesty is about motives, not style. Like, I believe modesty is more about your inward heart and the state of your heart than it is about what happens on the outside. And uh, listen, this is coming from, um, it's around Valentine's Day, so I follow a lot of these youth pastor accounts on Instagram and watch a lot of reels and stuff. And, and honestly, I had to stop because it was painful because I was like, oh my gosh, that used to be me. And, um, and so like, it really is a little pain. I was a youth pastor for 10 years and, and I grew up in a, in a place of legalism that was literally all about like, like what you wore and the way you dressed and oh gosh they're the boy and girl are in the room together and I'm gonna lose my job kind of thing like it's just crazy crazy stuff and uh I mean I just want you to know like um here modesty is not just about it's not about physical appearance or sexuality this is about the motive behind why we do things like whose attention are we after you know, and, uh, and so I believe what Paul is saying is I want you to be after the attention of your God. Like when you come to worship, don't worry about like the way you're dressed. Don't worry. Don't be trying to impress people like come because church was never supposed to be like a place where you promoted your status. OK, like church was supposed to be a place where you came as you are to worship the Lord Jesus um, together. Um, and so. But what we also see is Paul starts talking about jewelry and stuff like that. But guys, that just represented their economic status. So, so what Paul is saying here is like, listen, leave your economic status, leave your sexuality, leave all of this stuff at the door. And when you come, come as you are to worship Jesus and, and do it together and do it in the same way he says men pray with a pure heart. He says women come to worship with a pure heart as well. And that's what this, that's what this looks like for the church. Um, and then he goes on and, uh, and says that this is the fourth kind of issue that I see Paul addressing in the church, is that there were women being divisive to the church's leadership and teachers in some way. Uh, don't get all the details here, don't really know, and to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter, um, because I don't think Paul is just coming out of nowhere and saying, oh, and by the way, like, women, you shouldn't teach. You should just stay off to the side and be quiet. Like, I think Paul is addressing like an intentional situation happening here in Ephesus and, and maybe a group of women, um, and by group could be two or three, like just a group of women who were being divisive to the other leaders in the church. And I think that this is Paul's way of saying, man, like, let, let them lead. 
Okay, like let your leaders lead without grumbling, without complaining, without being divisive. Right. And so I think there's some historical context here. I definitely think there's scriptural context. And just for sake of time, I want to because I don't a lot of times we take this passage and we just lump it in together. But I think it follows up well with chapter three. So we're going to get into some of that. But I wanted to just say a couple of things um, from my heart, but I also believe are from the Bible. Okay, or I wouldn't tell you. Um, I want to say this, like um, we believe here in this church that women are created fully equal in the eyes of God, that women are made in God's image in the same way that men are made in God's image. And the fact is, coming after any of that is not an attack on genderism. It is an attack on Imago Dei, on the very image of God. And we believe that, that in, in a mysterious way that God created man and woman as a team. Because we read in the book of Genesis that, uh, that, you know, for a while, Adam was just hanging out with the animals. And I don't know if he complained first or God just said it's not working out. But he was like, Adam, none of these are a helper fit for you. All right. Like, I, I always wondered, like, what gave that away, you know. But, uh, but finally, God's like, you know, uh, the, yeah, it's not going to work out with the rhino. So here's what we need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make... I'm going to make a, a partner for you, a helper for you, all right? And, uh, and here's what we're going to do. Like, uh, and so he, he puts man asleep, and out of man comes Eve, um, and, and so, which means woman, and, and God creates her. But um, you have to understand, like, in the, in the actual Hebrew, when it says that um, God created Eve, it says, what did, uh, what did, those of you who maybe grew up in Sunday school, you know this. The rest of you who didn't grow up in church were like, this is wild. Like, what, where am I right now? Um, what did God, uh, what does it say God took from Adam to make woman? A rib, right? That's what, when I'm being real romantic with my wife, I like to call her my rib. And I just say, Lord, bless my rib. No, this is good. I'm gonna pay for that. But like, I like. Here's the deal. That word rib is actually not what we consider rib. Like we think of a rib bone. Okay, but that's not what the Hebrew word is. It, the Hebrew word is side. It's side. It just means side. From the side of man came woman. Like in the Hebrew, from the side of man came woman. That they perfectly fit together. Like they were, there was never meant to be this division and this divisiveness between genders and man and woman. Like we know, right? Paul writes, there's no more male or female, Greek or Jew. Like it's just Christ and those in Christ and Christ is of all and in all. Like, like this is what we see. And so I want you to see that that's the way God created man and woman. Different, different, but, but complementing one another. Like, and I want you to see that they were meant to be a team from the very beginning. God had this plan that both are made distinct, but both are made equal and both fit together as a team. Um, and I think he says here, he goes on and says, well, how does this play out in the church? So I just want to say, because especially women and men, there's so much confusion right now in our culture about like, you know, can you even say that? And what do we call this? And I'm, I'm probably using outdated language even today because I'm trying to keep up, but it's hard. Like, I realize, like, it can be hard. And I just want you to hear me say, like, I know it may not always be popular and I know it may not always be easy, but I just want you to hear from God's word that, like, man, God, this is God's beautiful design. 
And like, and like the way that God created you, like is beautiful. Like it's amazing because it's in his image. And so like for me to attack that and say, well, women are less than men would be like for me to say, well, women are not as, as in the image of God as men. Like for you to say that like, why well, I don't like this or I'm going to do this with this. Like it, I just want you to hear me say like, man, God has created you beautifully. He's created you with a plan and a purpose and you are in God's image. And that is amazing and beautiful. And I want you to embrace that and lean into it. Um, and that's not something we want to hatefully press on people. That is actually good news for our world today that lives in a state of confusion with sexuality. Imago Dei, that means image of God. Being in God's image is not something we use to cast judgment on people. It is really, really good news to be made in the image of your creator. But through this, he says, you know, it's probably best for women not to lead as elders in the church. He really says, there's two things I, I want the women to let the men do. And he says, and that's to lead and to teach. And those are the two primary responsibilities of an elder. And uh, here at Impact Church, like, I don't believe that means that um, we won't ever have women, like, uh, you know, teach the word. We have amazing, capable women right now teaching my children a few a few doors down, like doing an amazing job. We've had uh, women come up and share testimonies and give go time and open up God's word and women that do them in our homes and community groups all the time. Like this is not a judgment to say women shouldn't teach the word of God. Like I just have a hard time thinking women that one day you'll go to heaven and God's going to be like, you know, you read my word too much. You know, you really shouldn't have told all those people about me. Like, I just don't think we're going to see that, right? And so I, I just want to encourage you, like, but we do, like, we do specifically ordain men in the office of elder because we believe that the two roles in the church of leading and teaching, if there are capable men who can do it, they should do it. And that, and I believe in this church we have more than enough, but Men, let me say this. The sign of healthy leaders are healthy leaders who equip and empower the women to do what God is calling them to do. Like that is what healthy leaders do. So I want you to know that this is a, an equal, safe place for men and women to thrive under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And our main goal is, is that we are not divisive. That we are not divisive. And so, and that's what we see. I see this, this became a divisive issue. So Paul said the best way to handle this is to just do this. And so I want you to see that like God has given the church a good gift of men. They're capable and able and qualified to lead so that under the leadership of healthy, qualified men, women who are just as equally a gift to the church can thrive and grow in their relationship with the Lord. And I just want to say this too, Paul is also not saying women have to give birth to be saved. I know that was a little, uh, little confusing. Uh, what I believe is that um, he is using that because he's talking about Adam and Eve and one of the curses given to women, ladies, I'm really sorry, is the whole childbirth thing. Uh, like, hey, you're going to give birth and it's going to hurt. And, uh, and it's going to be really bad. And, uh, and men are like, well, yeah, but I get a common cold, you know. And it's different, 
All right, it's different. Um, but, uh, but listen, like I believe what he's saying is that through childbirth, like yes, it is a curse, but God will use what was meant for evil as a curse to use it to sanctify you and draw you closer to the Lord. So I think that's what he's doing. I'm going to end this section and uh, stop sweating for a second and just say, um, I want to read this quote to you because I think it summed up what I was trying to say. I just wanted you to hear a little bit from my heart because uh, you deserve to, to know where I'm at. Uh, but this is by a guy, uh, a random dude named John Piper. He says this. He says, um, the fields of opportunity are endless for the entire church to be mobilized in ministry, male and female. Nobody is to be at home watching soaps and reruns. He's an old dude. While, while the world burns, God intends to equip and mobilize all the saints under the leadership of a company of qualified men who take primary responsibility for leadership and teaching in the church. So thank you, Pastor John. All right, let's go on um, to chapter 3. And I'm actually going to breeze through this because you are going to see this in action next week. I'm so excited. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to come back and say a few things about it. But again, you're going to see this in practice next week. Um, but let's, let's read this. And I want you to read it with the context of what we just read in chapter 2. Okay? So I believe Paul, like, Paul didn't write, you know, finish writing about women and then turn the page and write chapter 3. Like we did that. Okay? This was one letter written over the course. So I want you to read this in the context with what Paul just said, okay? All right, uh, 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. All right, that word overseer means elder or pastor. Uh, uh, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, um, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how's he going to care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he might get puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he won't fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, manage their children, their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Um, a couple of things about this passage. This is a list of qualifications to be a leader in God's church. All right. Um, so first thing he talks about being an overseer or an elder and a pastor. Those are all the same word. So some of you grew up in traditions where maybe they were called an overseer. Um, maybe they were called pastor. Maybe they were called the right reverend. Maybe they were called, you know, elder. And uh, they all biblically mean the same thing. Okay, so when I'm, sa I'm reading overseer in this version of the Bible, the terminology we use is we go back and forth between elder and pastor, um, but they all mean the same thing. And they don't always mean somebody on staff, 
all right? And they don't always mean everyone who is on staff. Like this is a specific calling of leadership that God gives to the church as a gift. Um, And so here's the deal. Unless this is your first time ever to church, which it might be, um, you have been affected in some way, hopefully positively, but possibly negatively by an elder or pastor. I've sat down with some of you at our dining room table. I've heard your stories. I know I have my own stories. Um, In fact, I could tell you some pastors who uh, have really hurt us, pastors who have told us we're really stupid for church planting, pastors who have told us that we don't know what we're doing, pastors who've told us we got married too soon and shouldn't do that, pastors who've told us to slow down in following Jesus. Like, we've had a myriad of, of pastors that have hurt us, but there are two pastors in my life who have gotten me to where I am today. And I firmly believe without these two pastors, we wouldn't even be here as a church. And I actually brought a picture because I thought maybe you guys would want to see what youth pastor Brandon used to look like. I don't know if we have uh, that picture. There it is. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? So good. Yeah, I'll just stare at you so you can contrast real quick. Um, So the guy on the left is Brother Dewey and uh, like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. His name's Dewey. Uh, He's passed away. I did his funeral um, a little over a year ago. Um, uh, in that picture, I am uh, 18 years old. I had just turned 18, and uh, he had been training me to preach and lead, and I had no idea. Um, We were without a youth pastor when I was 17, and I thought I was just helping. And, uh, And then we got through the end of the year. I was about to go to college, and he goes, so you ever thought about being a pastor? I was like, no, I'm gonna be president of the United States. And he was like, well, just in case you're not. Like, what? would you think about being a pastor? And I was like, this is what I said. I said, I want to serve Jesus. I said, but I want to serve him like doing church stuff, but I also want to do my own thing. And, uh, and he was like, okay. And, uh, and so he let me, he let me do it, but he stayed in touch. And so Brother Dewey taught me everything that I know about ministry. He let me preach my first sermon. He let me hold my first meetings with adults. He let me uh, get yelled at by a deacon for the first time. He, you know, everything about ministry, like I learned under him. And then I'd go to his office and uh, anyway, so he's just Man, what an awesome man. I, I love him so much. And then on the, the next one, that's a, uh, um, that his name is David. And uh, David and I still talk every single week to this day. Uh, that was in 2008. Um, and David is the one who took me across the finish line, who said, yeah, I know you could do politics and you could keep doing the stuff that you're doing and serving the church part-time, but what if you didn't? Like, what if you just went all in? to serving Jesus and his church. And I was like, but then I'd be like you. And he was like, yeah, and it's awesome. And, uh, and so it was through that church and through his leadership in my life. He's only four years older than me, uh, but it was through his leadership in my life looking at me and saying, Brandon, if you go all in to Jesus, I'll walk with you every step of the way. You won't be alone a single time. And I will, I will take care of you, and as best I can, I will protect you. And two years later, he laid hands on me, ordained me into gospel ministry, and the next day, I hopped in a truck and moved to Northern Virginia. Um, And so he's a really special dude in my life. Listen, pastors are important. Pastors are important. Church leaders are important in our lives because they help us get where God wants us to go. But listen, not, not every person, like sometimes in Northern Virginia, we think that because someone is successful financially, because someone has run a big business, because someone is really funny and well liked, 
because someone has, you know, praised really deep theologically rich prayers, because someone is a good communicator, we immediately think that person should be an elder. But listen, the Bible is very clear what makes a good elder and church leader. And I just want to look through verses 2 through 7. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to list it for you. Number one is that person's got to be above reproach. They got, that means they got to have good character, man. Like character matters because you can teach somebody to preach. You can teach somebody to like, you know, how to do the ministry stuff. But man, you're not teaching good character. Like good character is through a transformed life through the gospel. Um, this has got to be a husband of one wife. Um, this is kind of funny the way he puts it. I, I like the translation, uh, a one-woman man, meaning that he's faithful to his wife. But I don't think that it means that he has to be married or else the Apostle Paul, like he wasn't married. And some of you ladies after reading chapter 2 are like, I know why he wasn't married. But he's like, he wasn't married, all right? And, uh, but I just believe that's what it means, that this, this is a faithful, a faithful man. Um, uh, he should be sober-minded. Uh, sober-minded means he doesn't jump quickly to decisions. That he's going to sit in a room, he's not going to go completely off of his emotion, but he's going he's to stop, he's going to think, and he's going to say, we need to seek the Lord about this. This is a person who is not passively taking for granted that the Lord will work all things out. He is actively seeking the Lord with a sober mind. Uh, he is self-controlled. I believe this means that he's, he doesn't have addictions in his life. doesn't mean he's not going to sin. We all sin, right, and fall short. But what it does mean is those sins should be the exception in his life, not the rule in his life. Um, So this person, you know, when it comes to alcohol, pornography, food, social media, like this person is not quick to become addicted. He's self-controlled. He's respectable, right? What that means, he's going to walk what he talks. He's hospitable, Man, this isn't just pouring somebody a cup of coffee. This is opening up your home. If you got somebody and they never have people in their home and their dining room table is always empty, not, not biblically qualified to serve as an elder. This person has to be hospitable, able to teach. This is a big one because he talks about deacons later, and that's another uh, office, and for us, that's more like serve teams, and we'll kind of get into that uh, later in this series too, but um, that, this is the difference is an elder needs to be able to open up the word of God and teach. I don't think this means they have to go to the cemetery, I mean a seminary, like I don't think it, sorry, I don't, I don't think it means... I don't think it means that you have, to, you have to have like all of these degrees, but here's what I think it means. I think it need, means that they need to be devoted to the Word of God. Like, and sometimes that does mean going to seminary, and sometimes that does mean getting a degree, and, and sometimes that means, but, but it just means that you're able to handle the Word of God. Notice it doesn't say able to communicate. There's a lot of great communicators out there who are not communicating the Word of God, and our culture's going down the toilet as a result, our church culture. Okay, this person needs to be able to teach the word. Um, Not a drunkard, okay, Uh, not abusive of alcohol, not violent, but gentle. This is huge right now in a land where we are seeing so many people spiritually abused by the church, people who are running the church like a Fortune 500 company, and they come in and say, hey, get on the train because the train's leaving the station, and if you're not there, you might get run over, okay, not biblically qualified to lead a church. Okay, needs to go work for Amazon, not biblically qualified for the church of Jesus. Um, not quarrelsome, right? 
So an elder is often referred to in the Bible as a shepherd. Okay, shepherds are like some of the least quarrelsome people that I know. Like they have to be gentle. They have to be caring. They have to be understanding. They're not high class, right? They were low class. Like, so if you want to be an elder or a leader in the church because you want recognition or you want position, you literally want the opposite of an elder. Like, yeah, and to be an elder means you give up all of those things to become this. This is why celebrity pastors are not God's, like, like you give up these things, okay? You give up the notoriety and the recognition to serve God's church. Um, not a lover of money. An elder, a leader in God's church is going to be generous and sacrifices to be able to give. Can manage his household well. Like an elder and needs to be able to show us that he's shepherding his family. And, and if he's single, his community uh, that he's with, right? Um, not a recent convert. The reason is because this person needs to be discipled well, okay? Um, this person needs to, needs to really be under the word, under the teaching, um, and well thought of by outsiders, because let's be honest, that's why we're here. We are here to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. And, uh, and if outsiders all don't like this person and they have a bad reputation at work and they have a bad whatever, but they're going to come into the church because that's their world, then they are not going to help us be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Like we need people who are already those things uh, coming in, teaching us how to do that. So here's, here's kind of how this thing wraps up. Like you guys know we carry these phones around, right, in our pockets. And it's kind of become like the big, uh, you know, like we're always, um, always taking selfies. And, and uh, even when like I go into D.C., and I'm going in even around downtown Fredericksburg and I see people and they're like trying to take the selfie and they're like, oh, the sun, you know, and then they're like, oh, let's go over here. Oh, but now that doesn't get that building. So we got to go. Oh, I don't know. Just jump in. And here's what I do. I go over to them and I say, would you like for me to take your photo? And do you know what nine out of 10 of them tell me? No, thank you, because I am ruining their selfie right? Like, no, we want a selfie. Like, that's what we want. I don't want you to take my picture. Like, then everybody's going to know you took it. Like, I want the selfie, right? And it's just something our culture, maybe we are, that's because we are a selfish culture a little bit, but like, we want that. And guys, this is how I want you to look at this list. I want you to look at this list of qualifications like you're taking a selfie for a second. And I want you to realize there is not a single thing on this list. Do we still have that list? Okay, it's, some of it's up there. Listen, there's not a single thing on this list that we are all not called to do. Like, would you ever look at a Christian and say, yeah, it's okay that you're a drunkard. Yeah, it's okay that you're violent. Oh, it's okay. You're not very gentle. That's okay. Oh, yeah, you're unfaithful to your, to your spouse. That's fine. You know, like, no, there's not a single thing on this list that we would look at others. Even teaching. Jesus said the Great Commission is to go to all the nations and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Even all of us have an obligation to be teaching someone and making disciples. Like, this list is not meant for us to take some poor soul who God's calling to be an elder, put them in a fishbowl, put a magnifying glass up to it and say, ah, that wasn't very respectable. Like, that's not what this list is for. This list should actually scare all of us. Like, we should all look at this list and go, well, dang, I'm not qualified, but that's okay because I don't want to be. 
Right? It's not about having an office in the church. It's about being close to Jesus. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, He transforms your heart into having these qualities. But listen, here's the deal. If you're here today and you go, Brandon, I, I am struggling with one of those things. Like one of those things is actually the rule in my life and not the exception. Like I'm, I actually am an addict. Like I actually am struggling with these things. Here's what I want you to know. You cannot walk out of here today and say, I'm going to go fix that in my life so that I can be close to God. That does not work. It will frustrate you and lead you down a path that spirals down. Listen to me. The first step is not to leave here and go fix yourself so that you have these qualities. The first thing you do is you confess to Jesus that you don't have these things and tell him that you need him. And start a relationship with Jesus. Because it is not through your own efforts that you're going to be transformed. It is only through Jesus' efforts on the cross for you that are going to transform your heart and your life. There is not a person on the planet that we could ordain as an elder that has figured all of this out. Here's what we're trusting. This person knows God. This person follows Jesus. This person wants more of God in his life every single day. Because that's how we know that one day he's not going to be sober-minded, but we're going to pray for him and Jesus is going to change his heart. And the next day, Jesus will have changed him and he will be. And that's how you leave here today. Don't leave here feeling like, man, I got to measure up. I got a bunch of stuff I need to work on. Leave here today feeling like, man, now I know Jesus and he cut the chains off of me and I'm following him. And instead of having to do 10 things this week, all I got to do is one thing. I just got to figure out how to love Jesus. And man, we got people all in this church meeting in community groups all throughout Fredericksburg that would love to teach you how to do that. Because that's what this is about. So yes, church leadership. But church, more than that, our hearts, us. And so next week, our church is going to ordain our first elder as a church. Yeah, praise God. We're going to be bringing Wes up. Wes had his ordination council yesterday. He was tested by um, ordained men from Impact Church, from Impact Church Northern Virginia, which is who multiplied us out, and uh, two other local churches. I just found the hardest pastors I could find in, uh, in Fredericksburg and invited them to the table and, um, and brought them, and we were there for two or three hours yesterday, and we asked him every question we could think of. And I just want to tell you this, Wes, he did not answer all of them perfectly. He didn't. But you know what he did? He got the main thing, the main thing, which is his relationship with Jesus. And I know that even though he's a work in progress, I'm a work in progress, you're a work in progress, but we're going to follow Jesus together. And he meets every single one of the biblical qualifications that stands. And not just from, from my opinion, but the opinion of other ordained men, even outsiders from among our city. And so next week as a church, you're going to have an opportunity. If you've never seen, like, the first ordination service of a church, come and uh, be a part and witness it and see God's grace upon his church. Man, I just want to, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, but I just want to show you, um, man, like, as we, as we kind of consider and think about what God's doing in our church, I want to ask you guys a few questions. I want you to think about this. Number one, what is your next step 
in your relationship with Jesus. See, we believe at Impact Church that everybody has a next step. Everybody has a next step. Man, you don't want to get stuck. God is so glorious, he's like an endless treasure chest that the more you scoop out, the more there is to find. And man, I just believe everybody has a next step. So I want to ask you, what do you think yours is? Maybe you're here today and you go, Brandon, I've actually been spinning my wheels. I've done the church thing a lot, but I've never asked Jesus, like just me and him, I've never asked him to forgive me of the ways I've messed up and change my heart to be new. I've never done that. And if that's you today, that's your next step. That's what you do today. And you go, yeah, but what happens? And how will I know? Will I get struck by lightning? And what will that mean? Listen, you just do it between you and God. And you pray to him. And you literally say, God, I screwed it up. This stuff is wrong in my life. But I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus forgives me. I believe he took my punishment. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm giving my life to follow him the best I know how. And I need him to make me new. You pray that. And between you and God, and I believe that God does that. And if you did that, here's what I want you to do on that blue response card thing. There's a place on the back that says, today I've decided to follow Jesus. I want you just to check that box. There's not a test. You don't have to remember everything that happened. It just lets me know that you and I should text and talk this week and figure out a time to get together to see what God's doing in your life. And I can help you with the next steps. For some of you, man, you're going, Brandon, yeah, I'm doing the church thing, but it's been a while since I've worked on the character thing. It's been a while since I've let God have a flashlight and look around in my heart. And today, Brandon, there was a couple of things on the list that, um, yeah, called me out. Guys, today, forgiveness is yours. Jesus counts none of it against you, but you got to come through him. Can't depend on yourself to get it right this week. You got to stop spinning the wheels, get out of the hamster wheel, and come into the cycle of God's grace where he forgives you and makes you new. And then there's some of us here today, and the fact is God is calling you out to be a leader. Yeah, you may not have everything perfect and right, but the fact is the sidelines is not an option. The world is burning, and we need workers. And God is calling you out today. It doesn't mean tomorrow you got to have it all figured out, but there's a place on the back of your card. It just says other. And you just write something like, God's calling me out. I'll know what to do. But I want you to know that, man, we got too far to go in Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg needs 20 more churches in the next five years. Northern Virginia needs 600 more churches in the next five to 10 years. Washington, D.C., double that. The nations, huh. Guys, we need more disciples and more churches. And God's calling us out right here today. And that could be you. So I just want Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not... Please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at.
Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.